0: Okay the uh today is uh, Sunday September 4th 2022 and our uh, the study today is going to be on thoughts on judgment thoughts on judgment and I sent out some slides to some of you by uh email that you can maybe follow along with those powerpoint slides and I think some people appreciate that and uh, Tony's going to also be posting uh, off those slides, so I really appreciate Tony's uh, help here. Thank you so very much. And this study is going to overlap uh, some things Ronnie said in the first part of his study, so you're going to get uh, two witnesses here on some of this stuff. So starting off uh, with the slide number one, judgment is a word that we hear or use every day of our life. We've probably judged many things already this morning. Um, I'm not talking about Judge Judy, Judge Jerry, Judge Steve Harvey. Uh, I'm not talking about our Department of Justice, which is our Department of Injustice, actually. And I think now they go as far as to say it's the Department of Just Us. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about... um, Number two, the context of the Bible. So what comes to your mind when you think of judgment or when you think of Judgment Day? And I'm going to share with what I've learned in this study. Um, I'm still learning, so check things out for yourself. Uh, I was out picking berries this morning, strawberries and raspberries, and uh, yummy, yummy. But every time I pick through the patch of berries, I have to go back through a second and third time and I'm always finding beautiful, plush berries that I missed the first time. So going through the Bible is like picking berries. You just have to keep going through, and you're always finding new gems and new truths and new understandings. So this is a vast subject, this subject of judgment. Judges used 286 times in the King James Version, and judgment is 408 times in the King James Version. And this brings in a lot of ancillary subjects like Judgment Day and Resurrections and Heaven and Immortality, Condemnation and Hell and all these concepts that uh, we study and talk about. And I think um, I would challenge Ronnie. Ronnie could take up this subject and probably spend two years going through the Bible just on this topic of judgment. He's good at that sort of thing. But as slide number four, before Bibles, all people had was what they were taught about judgment and about judgment day. And I've been in the Sistine Chapel. I've seen Michelangelo's, uh, mural of the last judgment. And you could stand there for hours gazing at this thing and trying to figure out what in the world this all means. It's, it's phenomenal. But, this is what most people have in their mind is an idea of about judgment well what led led me to this study was somebody said just a few weeks ago we will sh- we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and my antennas went up, and I had a big question mark in between those antennas and so I ventured out on a study of what if that was true or not so uh, I thank God that I have been led to understand what happened at the end of the book of Acts. And I thank God that I've been taught to rightly divide dispensational truth. Because there are so many confusing verses concerning judgment in the Bible that must be carefully considered and dispensationally and rightly divided. Um you also have to know the context of these verses, and as as Ronnie says, you have to be hovering thirty thousand feet over God's plan of the ages to understand what's going on here, because these verses can create a lot of confusion. So some of the important questions are going to be today: um, Do all the dead arise for judgment? Do all of us stand before? the judgment seat of Christ. Who is at the white throne judgment? Can believers be condemned? What is the second death? Well, I hope you didn't eat a big breakfast because that's going to be a lot to digest. So on slide number seven, I have some Hebrew words and Greek words that are translated judgment in the scriptures. And they can mean other things than what you would expect. But the word dun in Hebrew is to rule. The palial is a judge. Mishpat means a verdict or a sentence. And shaphat means condemn or punish. The Greek word krema, K-R-I-M-A, means a decision or damnation. And crisis, crisis, crises, which we get a word crisis, is a decision or a separating out. The most common word for judgment is crino, which means to dis, to distinguish, to decide, to try, to ordain. Imagine that the word judgment means to ordain, condemn. And a criterion is where we get our word criterion, is a rule of judging. And a critic, a discerner, comes from the word criticos. kritikos. So we have to look at those words as we understand judgment in the scriptures. Slide number eight, how has the misuse of the word hell in the Bible, instead of the grave, affect the understanding of Judgment. What if the word hell wasn't in the Bible? How would you think that would affect people's understanding of judgment? Um, you know, if if eternal tor- eternal conscious torment to me means that a a ungodly person has to have eternal life, and that would make Jesus a liar. So. Um that is a word that has really done a lot of uh, destruction as far as understanding things like judgment. Number nine, how is the misuse of the word church for ecclesia instead of called out ones affect understanding of judgment? You know, there are different callings outs in the Bible as we rightly divide. And there are different judgments for those different calling out groups in the scriptures so that has to be considered in Hebrews ten thirty to 31 says and again the Lord shall judge his people his people God's people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God so we get this concept of fear Fear of judgment. And, but God only judges his people, as we'll find as we go through this. So, number, slide number 11, judgment is also seen in the context of damnation, condemnation, punishment, wrath, accusations. It's always seen in a negative light. Uh, and, Maybe a lot of people have guilty consciousness and so forth. But in slide number twelve, is not God judging all the time? You know, you look back over the way back from the beginning. God judged Satan and his angels, and God judged uh the first earth, and God judged Adam and Eve, and He judged. The the flood, you know, look at all the judgment that went on there. So you go all the way up to the end of Acts. It seems like God is judging all the time. And Psalms 7.11 says God judges the righteous. Notice again, he judges his people, the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Man, he must be really be angry these days. Because you well know, it seems like a lot of wicked people um, just watch the just watch the news. So slide number thirteen, Christ is now the judge. and this only occurs in John's gospel, but John 5.22 says, "For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son." And then in verse twenty six and twenty seven, in John 5, he says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So it's interesting that that was written, you know, after Acts 28, and it's only in John's Gospel. Interesting. Interesting. I don't have all the answers. I'm going to have more questions and answers going through this stuff. So be prepared. Maybe you guys have some of the answers. Um, Slide number 14 in Daniel 12.2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So you're going to see verses here that people can use to prove that you know all the dead are raised up and judged some new everlasting life and some everlasting contempt. But this God only judges his people. So does that mean a saved person can be can have everlasting content? Well, we'll see. John five twenty eight says Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Does that mean everybody? The wicked and the saved and the ungodly and all that everybody? And they have done good that they have they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Well, if you look at the context of this, these verses before this, Christ was only talking about his people, the saved. So he's talking about all that are saved in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And of the saved people, some resurrection of life, In some to resurrection of damnation. Really? Wow, can a saved person be damned? Well, look at the context. The only person who's ever resurrected resurrected is a saved person. Go to Acts twenty four fifteen. This is another verse that many have used to prove that the ungodly are resurrected. It says, and to have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, Paul was talking about the Pharisees here. They, they allow resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. So these are the saved who are called the just and the unjust. The saved people, not justified and unjustified. They're called the just and the unjust. Second Corinthians five ten. Here's Paul says this, for we all for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Interesting. <clears throat> well this sounds like works to me. Things done in his body, whether good or bad. But wasn't this written before Paul was revealed the mystery? Well, that may have an impact on how this is to be read. We must all appear before a judgment seat of Christ. What about the body of Christ? Slide 17, Romans 4.10. Paul says it again. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Interesting. What about the body of Christ? This was written again before the mystery was revealed to Paul. So are we included in, in that all? I don't think so. But let's go to Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And Paul's also writing to save people here. He says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Once to die. That means there's no second death. He is appointed once to die, but after this the judgment. So, Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall be, he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So all men have the opportunity to accept Christ, but they don't. So this here, the only people who die and are judged after death are the saved people. And this, again, was written before the mystery, before the mystery was revealed. Romans 5.18. This is slide uh, number 19. Romans 5.18. There, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men in Adam, ...to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came also upon all men unto justification of life. Now, this is talking about all men in Adam are condemned. But by the righteousness of Christ, the free gift of salvation and grace is also available to all men, but not all men accept it. And this is justification or acquittal of life. So, are all men judged at birth? It sounds like it. All men are condemned at birth in Adam. All believers judged again at our conversion. When we're converted, when we accept Christ, are we judged again? We're given eternal life. What about the body of Christ? Are we judged again when we acknowledge the uh, mystery of the body of Christ that Paul puts forth? I think for unbelievers, their judgment day is the day they die. That's it. That's their judgment day, the day they die. So <clears throat> slide twenty one. Those who die in Adam, the unsaved believers, have judged themselves. They die in unbelief. And John three eighteen says they are condemned already because of their unbelief. They judge themselves. The power of the grave holds them for the second death. There's no life after the death for these people. Like the rich man of Lazarus, some people try to teach, well, there is life life in hell. There is life after death. But that was a sarcasm that Christ was teaching the Pharisees, this is what you teach. Do they have... Do the unbelievers, the unsaved, do they have resurrection? I don't think so. There's no escape from the grave for them. They have eternal death. Do they have a final judgment? No. They've already been judged. They're done. As Ronnie says, that's it. It's over. Whatever might be left of them in the grave might be thrown into the lake of fire, but We'll see about that later. Do they perish with no hope? I think so. Romans 8.1 says, and this is a common verse I heard in the Baptist church, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, the key word there is, now, there is now no condemnation, no judgment against a person in Christ. But you're going to see many verses where there is condemnation in the, in the future, in their future judgment. Um, there's a separating out of those people. Uh, it's called condemnation. We, we don't have sinless perfection as they like to teach. We don't have that. The, the believer can be condemned in works, but not to eternal death. And the law of sin and death means there is no resurrection. So it made us free from the law of no resurrection. Isaiah twenty-six nineteen <clears throat> says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead bodies shall they arise. Awake and seeing ye that dwell in the dust for thy dew is as the dew of the herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. So is Isaiah talking about all men or just saved men? Only saved men will arise in resurrection. And the earth shall cast out the dead. So the grave has no power over the saved. As it says in Matthew sixteen eighteen. the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of the grave. <clears throat> so let's jump ahead to some things Ronnie was talking about. Revelation 24 through 6. This is the judgment or the resurrection of the overcomers. This is before the millennial kingdom starts. And this is uh, where it says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus. For the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, In their hands, or they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the former or the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second resurrection, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this is Israel. These are the overcomers. These are believers, and and they are given a sort of an out-resurrection here. This is an out-resurrection from the rest of the dead, because the rest of the dead will show up in the next few verses. Um, So this is the first of two resurrections. So here we have uh, a group of saved people. Uh, that are given to reign a thousand years uh, with Christ in the Millennial Kingdom. And this ties into uh, Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. And it says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth before the children of thy people, Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, which is never seen since there was a nation, even that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them shall sleep in the dust of the earth, and shall awake, some former to everlasting life, and some latter to shame and rebuke, and everlasting contempt and abhorring. Contempt means abhorring there. So here are people whose names are written in the book, that means there's a book of life Exodus 32, 32, and 33, Moses talked about a book, uh, written with names written in it. And so these are people who are resurrected. They awake a former to everlasting life and the latter, like the latter resurrection to shame and which means rebuke and everlasting contempt, which means abhorring. So this parallels the two resurrections in Revelation. Well, how does 1 Thessalonians 4.14, I'm on 26 now, slide 26. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 through 17, uh, how does this tie into that? Because whatever Paul said here, this resurrection did not happen all these people are dead but he said for uh he says in here for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel michael and with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so shall we uh ever or always be with the lord so Is he talking about this resurrection in Revelation, this first resurrection of the overcomers? Because, well, at that time, he was still thinking that Christ was going to return soon. So perhaps they were, he was believing that they were going to be, uh, equivalent to the overcomers. And then in Revelation, Jump down to 2011 through 15, we have this second resurrection. And it says, I saw a great white throne. This is the white throne judgment. And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. So there's no more heaven and earth here. Everyone who's ever living has died. And there was found no place for them, the heaven and the earth. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things that were written in the books, the first books, the books of works, not the book of life, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and hell were delivered up and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. <clears throat> So this is all, again, according to works. This is people who are either Israel or people who were under the kingdom gospel, perhaps, that uh, wanted to tie their wagon, tie themselves to that wagon, the kingdom gospel. But they're judged according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Whoa, lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, it doesn't mean they were resurrected as above. This sentence is tacked on to the end here. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, they were just cast in the lake of fire. They weren't resurrected and judged out of the books, as I see it. So... uh. What about the body of Christ? Are we in either of these resurrections? What is our out-resurrection? Are we resurrected out from among all these dead beforehand? I believe so. Uh, Read Colossians 3, 4. Slide number 28. The second death in the lake of fire. I was reading some things that Oscar Baker was saying years ago. <clears throat> and... Um, this is different than what I discussed with uh, Barney a couple days ago, but the second death and the lake of fire are only found in the book of Revelation. They're never anywhere before in the scriptures. And Paul never talked about it at all. And neither did Christ or the other apostles talk about it, except John in his book of Revelation. Now, the lake of fire is a figure of total final annihilation. The unsaved are never resurrected. The unsaved are still in the grave, which is hell. They're still in in the realm of death. So they're not found in the book of life anywhere. Death is the enemy of the unsaved. Death is not the enemy of the saved people. We are... We've escaped that power. Uh, Death is only the enemy of the unsaved. Death and the grave have power. They are things that have power. The beast and the false prophets are ungodly systems. Satan is a spiritual being with powers of darkness. The second death is a second kind of death. It has nothing to do with the death of human beings. It is the end of all powers that oppose God or not of God. It is a special kind of death, and if death and hell contained or the grave contain any of even if my dead flesh, corrupted flesh, is in a grave somewhere, Um, I may have been resurrected with a new body, but that old body, that old flesh could be tossed into the lake of fire because it's still in the realm of death and hell. Does that make sense? So all those things that are opposed to God are finally gone forever. Only the saved are resurrected to life. The grave has no power over the saved. Our old flesh will perish. Our new man will be raised with a new body. The unsaved have no resurrection. The grave has no power to keep the, the grave has power to keep the unsaved from resurrection. Only the saved are judged after resurrection. The unsaved have no judgment after death. The day they die, that's their day of judgment. The saved can be just or unjust. Son can be condemned for their works. So is death the enemy of the saved or the unsaved? Death is only the enemy of the unsaved. Now, on the other side, not all judgment is negative. Judgment can be positive. It's a positive thing. How many of you have been to awards banquets and, and or been in competitions and you you've gotten prizes and awards and ribbons and I was at the state fair a few weeks ago. Man, there's a lot of judging going on, a lot of ribbons being handed out. Eternal life is nice. It's a positive thing. Awards, prizes, crowns. So now, what about the body of Christ? I'm on slide thirty one. What about the body of Christ? When you consider right division and dispensational truth and all this, where is the judgment day for the body of Christ? Between the choosing out before the overthrow of the world and our appearing with Christ in glory at the right hand of the Father, where is the judgment day of the body of Christ? Ever thought about that? I haven't found where it says it in the Bible anywhere, but think of this. Here's the positive things about the body of Christ. Slide 23. We have every spiritual blessing. We're to be holy and without blame. We're adopted as sons by Jesus Christ. We're accepted in the Beloved. We have redemption through his blood. We've obtained an inheritance. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're quickened together with Christ. We're made to sit together in heavenly places. We're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. Being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. He looked forward to dying. Blameless sons of God without rebuke. Attain to the out resurrection out up from among the dead persons. That's the ec anastasia ec Ek acron. Slide 35. I pressed to the mark of the highs of the pride calling of God to present you holding and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, having forgiven you all trespasses. Let no man be galley of you of your reward. He shall receive the reward of an inheritance. You're a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul said. So the question is, have we already been judged? Oh, we have to be careful with that one. Some people claim we don't have to have the blood of Christ. We don't need to be saved. We've already been Judged. Uh, Be careful with that one. I had to have the blood of Christ and salvation before I could even be considered for a member of the body of Christ. Are we being judged now? Are we being judged now? Will Will we be judged at His appearing somehow? Will our judgments be awards and crowns and prizes? When will these be awarded? I have to say, I don't know. Um, If you have the answer, let me know. I'd like to hear it. We still have good works to do. We still have things to do. We still are going on to perfection, to the end. We are still growing in the unity of the faith. We are still growing in the knowledge of the truth. We are still perfecting the saints. We're edifying each other in love. Ephesians says, We are ordained to walk in good works. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewithin you are called. Put off the old man. Put away the lie. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. See that you walk circumspectly. I'm talking to myself here, by the way. Colossians says, Set your affections on things above and not things on the earth. Put off the old man and put on the new man. Whatever so you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Continue in prayer. Walk in wisdom. Oh, but we have many warnings in Ephesians and Colossians. Many warnings. So there are going to be some in the body of Christ who are maybe more pleasing to God than others. So... There still may be some judgment taking place, sometimes, somewhere. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you. Colossians 2.18 says, Let no man beguile you or defraud you of your reward. Colossians 4.12 says, That ye may be perfect and complete in all the will of God. So, I know I went through that kind of quickly, and it's a lot of information, but it's to help you to think, to help you when you read these verses, step back and take a second look at the context and the words being used and apply right division and dispensational truth. Because whatever judgment is, it's of God. And of our Lord Christ Jesus. It will be true and righteous. So whatever judgment is, let us leave all of the judging to them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this massive amount of information in a short period of time. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your guidance. This all requires further study by all of us. And we just uh, help us not to judge each other and not to judge other people. Uh, let us do more judging of ourselves according to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.